is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Just give me one second. Thank sure. you. Sorry. Uh-huh. Hey. Hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi. Good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh... I think that's a little intense. No. no not possible. That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skills. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up, and we demand that with, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. Completely for free. <laughs> no! What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh my god. Moms are the best! Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. 
Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. the truth? I mean, moms, they do so much. And they do it all the time. Like, all the time. There's been times, especially this past week, where I've, I've wondered, do moms truly rest? Do they ever get a chance to push pause on life, to take a deep breath, to uh, bask in the margins of the moment and rest? I've had to wonder that in this past week. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this time that we're about to spend in your word. I pray that these would be your words, not mine. And I pray that they would point back to you. Lord, help us to hear what you want to say this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, We'll start in verse 7. As you're turning, I want to remind you that we're in a series on the biblical book of Hebrews, this, this letter to the Hebrews. This is a, a document written by a scholar, two scholars, and most agree that it's one of the hardest books in the New Testament to, to understand and to wrap our minds around. Thus far, we've, we've tried to take a simple look at, uh, at the book and, and how this book points back to Jesus Christ. In the last several weeks, I think it's been five weeks, we've, we've looked at how the author describes Jesus. And we filled in the blank, uh, Jesus is. We've seen how Jesus is God's son, how he is true humanity, how he is the perfect pioneer. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus is greater than angels, and then last week, we looked at how Jesus was greater than Moses. Now, in all of this, our challenge has been to consider Jesus. But more than just looking half-heartedly at him, the challenge has been to gaze into his face with the, with the intention of learning the lesson he has for us, with the intention of learning who he is to us and, and how that affects us. That's what we've meant by consider Jesus. And this is where we pick up our text today, immediately following this call to consider Jesus and the results that that would bring if we truly did, the, the hope and the courage to live out that hope that it would bring. So we're in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Follow along, and I'll read 7 through 19. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them, so in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. 
You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses let out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. This, this short passage, this short portion in our text, really is a series of flashbacks and then flash-forwards to the, to the present time. The present time being when the author wrote this to his audience. We see he just begins in this pretty bold way in verse 7. That's why the Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Up until this point in in Hebrews, the author has been showing us the greatness of Jesus, the, the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. And he's shown us why we should listen to him and why we should believe and now in verse 7, he's challenging his readers. He's saying, you guys, open your hearts. Don't just receive it, but also believe it. Don't harden your hearts, he says. Your ancestors, they have a history of doing that. Your people did that. They closed their hearts. Verse 10, their hearts always turn away from me. They closed their minds. That's verse 9. Even though they saw the miracles with their own eyes for 40 years. And the text says they stopped doing what I asked them to do. Second half of verse 10, they refuse to do what I tell them. And the author is is imploring them, don't be like your ancestors. Don't do that. Don't harden your hearts. Today, he says, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Why? Why? He says, well, remember, who, who were the ones that God, you know, didn't, uh, the, the, the ones that rebelled against God? It was your ancestors. Who sinned and whose corpses lay in the wilderness? It, it was your ancestors. Who didn't enter the rest because they disobeyed? It, it was your ancestors. So the author flash, flashes back, and then in, in, a, in a creative way, he pulls them right back into the present and says, today... When you hear God's voice. And he gives them four quick reasons why they should so desperately not harden their hearts. We're going to do these quickly. The first reason is that a hardened heart leads a person away from God. Verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. He says, take care Take heed, be careful. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you get an evil heart. You get an unbelieving heart, and these things lead you away from the living God. Which is not a good place to be, is it? No, it's not good to fall away from the living God. So the first reason that's the first reason the author says don't harden your hearts. 
Now the second reason, he says, is that we can so easily be controlled by the treachery of sin. Verse 13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You take, for example, a small white lie. You know, told enough times, eventually you begin yourself believing it. And then the next time an opportunity comes to kind of slightly fib, it's a little bit easier to do so. And the third time it's even easier, and the next time after that it's easier, and eventually the deceitfulness of sin has a hold on you. So the author, the author says, don't harden your heart, says this could lead to sin controlling your life. The third reason the author says, don't harden your heart, he implores his listeners, is that we have the ability to share in what Christ has. Verse 14, for we share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If, he says, if. And the original confidence is what we concluded last week's sermon looking at. Second half of verse 6. And we are his house, God's house, if we indeed hold fast to the confidence and are boasting in hope. If we don't harden our hearts when we hear God's voice, we can, we do, we will get to share in Christ. That's reason enough to listen to his voice. Amen? Amen. The fourth reason the author implores us not to harden our hearts is the one we're really going to camp out on today. If we harden our hearts when God's voice is speaking to us, there's a very real possibility that we'll miss out on the rest that he promises. We'll miss out on the rest that he promises. Verse 19. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. You know, we started this morning with that fun little video of the fake job interview and the exhausting position being described was the role that the, the guy said billions of people worldwide, billions of women worldwide fill every day. Uh, the position of mom. And uh, I was asking Debbie, I think, this morning, I said, do you know what this video, have, have you seen this video? She says, no, but I think I know where it's going. First time I saw it, I didn't have a clue. But I tell you what, as I watched it, I was tired. I was thinking, who in the world would sign up for that? That would be crazy. And I realized our text, if we miss out on the rest that God promises, there's a good chance we're going to be running around like, like he described our entire lives. So I don't want to miss out on rest. And I, I believe our author doesn't want, to miss out, doesn't want his people to miss out on the rest either. In fact, if you're in conversation with somebody and they say something once, maybe you listen to them, right? If they say something twice, there's a good chance you'll perk up. If they say something three times, you'll, you'll think, maybe that's important. I want you to grab your pencils and I want you to put a little tally mark each time you hear the author say rest in these next set of verses. We're going to look at uh, Hebrews 3.19 and I'm going to read through 4.11 and listen to see if this author uh, values this idea of rest. Keep a, keep a tally mark. Verse 19. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Check. 
Okay, good. We're on the same page. Verse 1, chapter 4. God's promise of entering his rest still stands today. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. And as for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since the beginning of the world. Since he made the world. We know it's ready because of the place in scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Verse 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest, a Sabbath rest, still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Add them up. 17. You think the author was serious about this idea of rest? I think so. In the original Greek, there was only 13, but 13, 17, it's a whole lot more than once. It's a whole lot more than 12 or three times, 17 times. Here's the deal, okay? Today's Mother's Day, in case you forgot from the announcements up until now. And we're going to look at this idea of rest. But let me tell you from the get-go, this idea of rest is so much more than a 10-hour uninterrupted night of sleep. As nice as that would be. Look, I got like half a dozen moms saying, oh, that would be rest. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than a good book on a, on a sunny afternoon and a glass of strawberry lemonade. In our text, the author of Hebrews, he milks this Greek word for, for rest until every ounce of meaning has been dripped out of it. The Greek word is katapausis. And so he, he does three main ways that, that, that this word really means rest. The first idea of rest was the rest attained by the wandering Israelites when they entered the, they entered the promised land, when they entered Canaan. Okay? Our Hebrews passage today is a direct quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. You can just listen to it. It says, if you would only listen to his voice today, David declares, the Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though I saw everything, even though they saw everything I did. For forty years I was angry with them, and I said, They are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So rest, promised land rest. This is the first idea that the author was talking about. Now, the psalmist, he was writing hundreds of years, 
hundreds of years after the story of the Exodus and after Joshua took the Israelite people into the promised land, and yet he's still reminding his listeners of the unbelief that the people had and the result of that unbelief. And he mentions two places. Uh, it's actually two names, but one place, Meribah and Massah. Now this was a place, among several places, where the Israelites uh, grumbled and they complained against God. And yet God still answered. It was a place where God gave them water from a rock. You can hear in Exodus 17, verse 7, it says, Moses named that place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is, is the Lord here with us or not? Now, as a result of that and many other times that the people grumbled and, and tested and, and argued against God, God said this to them in Numbers 14. He says, but as surely as I live, as, as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I have performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of them who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. They won't be able to enter the promised land. They won't be able to get that rest. And the author of Hebrews makes mention of this a couple of times. Verse 2. He says, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Or verse 6, so God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. They failed to enter. Remember the story? The 12 spies were sent into the promised land. Ten of them came back and they said, oh, I'm overcome with fear. We shouldn't go in there. And two of them said, let's believe. Let's obey. Let's occupy. Let's enter this land. The Israelite people did not believe. They did not obey. And therefore, they did not receive the promised rest of living in the land of Canaan. The rest of kicking up their sandals on their own front porch, the sandals that had wandered for 40 years on their own houses that God had said, hey, I'm going to give you all of this. They did not get it. Verse 19 says that. So we see that because of their unrest, they were, their unbelief, they were not able to enter this rest. The idea of entering into the promised land. It may not hold as much weight to us today as it did to the listeners because it was their ancestors who did not get that. But, but that's one of, the, one of the main meanings that the author is talking about when he talks about rest 17 times in our passage. So let's move on to the next meaning. Jump down to verse 7 of chapter 4. The author says, So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Uh, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. A day of rest still to come. This second meaning of rest is really the idea of a future rest. A rest with God. A peace with God forever. It's still the exact same Greek word as, as described the first meaning, 
But the, the author says this is another day yet to come. And this is the, the rest he's getting so worked up about in verse 1. I mean, I can just see him in chapter 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear because some of you might fail to experience it. The author does not want anyone to miss out on the rest, this future rest that God has promised. One of the earliest Christians, Stephen, was addressing the Jewish high council right before they stoned him. And he mentioned this, Acts chapter 7, verse 48 and 49. He said, however, the Most High, God, doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that, asks the Lord? Could you build me such a resting place? A resting place. That's the same word as used before in Hebrews. It can also mean an abode, a dwelling place. And in this case, it's a heavenly abode. A heavenly place to cease the doing and just be with God. Doesn't that sound good? This is where the author, using the exact same word but milking out a different meaning, uses his linguistic genius, verses 3 through 5. He says, For only we who believe can enter his rest. That's this future rest. And in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it's ready because of the place in Scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. And on the seventh day God rested from his work. Future rest. I would say, First Church, let's not miss out on that. Let's make sure we believe. The rest he talks about so far, rest found upon entering the promised land and this future rest. The final emphasis on rest that the author makes is one that I think can be very practical for us today. It was already hinted hinted at at verse 4 when the author spoke of God resting on the seventh day. So the seventh day, Sabbath. A Sabbath rest. Verse 9 through 11. So there is a special rest, a a Sabbath rest, still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. If we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. This rest mentioned here in verse 9 is a different word than the other times we've looked at it. It's the word sabbatismos. Of course, you hear a Sabbath in there. It's a blessed rest from toils and struggles, and a lot of people do say, yes, that's a future rest also, but I want to say it's more than just that. It's a rest that we can have now. How? Verse 10. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. By resting from our labors, taking a Sabbath day each week as God originally instructed. By observing the Sabbath, as as Scripture says in Deuteronomy, and by remembering the Sabbath, as it says in Exodus. By ordering our life around A day of rest where we focus on God, His glory, His power, His awe. A day where by doing that, 
By allowing our normal lives to cease, we too can be renewed. We can be refreshed. We can, we can find, we can experience a Sabbath rest. We can say we've entered into God's rest because we have rested from our labors. This is not easy, is it? Especially in our culture. This is not easy. And we could probably spend an entire message talking about this idea of a Sabbath. You know, what it, what it originally was meant to be. What it means to us today. For our purposes, though, I want to go back to the very first verse that we read this morning. Verse 7 and 8 in chapter 3. It says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. It may be that we've heard messages on the idea of Sabbath before and we've tried it and we've failed and we're thinking, yeah, I don't want to do that again. I'm just going to kind of close off. I'm going to stop listening. I want to tell you that I think, I feel, I believe that that the Spirit of God wants us to listen to His voice today regarding Sabbath. He wants to give us this Sabbatismos, this Sabbath rest. Now, the original uh, commandment as part of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the, uh, the early Jews, they took this, uh, the idea of keeping it holy, and they turned it into 39 specific rules. And then they unpacked those 39 rules and made even more regulations on those. A whole bunch of don't touch, don't handle, don't carry, don't do this, don't do that. And it became a burden. Something that was meant to be life-giving, something that was created for good, turned into more of a chore than a benefit. And I think that's why Jesus declared what he did in Mark chapter 2. He said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You know, what's crazy is if, is if those early Jews had remembered the word of the Lord given even before the Ten Commandments, this saying from Jesus wouldn't have been such a shock. Remember the story, they're wandering around in the wilderness and, and God feeds them with manna and they get up every morning to go out and they collect the manna that they need for that day and, and then on that first Sabbath during that process, God says, don't, don't go out, but, the ne- the, the, but collect enough this day so that you won't have to tomorrow. And yet, not everybody listened. Exodus chapter, I think it's 16, verse 27. It said, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day. You know, a lot of translations simply have the, the, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. But I really like how my translation paints that picture. It says they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. What takes place on the Sabbath? What does it allow to happen in us? Rest. Sabbath rest. The kind talked about in verses 9 through 11 So I want to encourage us, let's do our best to enter that rest. Let's do our best to rest from our labors. And here's where I want to drive this home. I want to say let's do our best to allow moms to enter into that rest. Let's do our best to allow the moms to experience Sabbath rest. And here's how. I want to encourage us. 
I want to inspire us. I want to challenge us to implement a Sabbath day. If you don't already have it, re-implement a Sabbath day of rest in your home. I want to encourage us, don't harden your hearts, but listen to the voice of God as found countless times in Scripture, not just in Hebrews, when he says, remember the Sabbath. And if we do, I want to say this is going to do wonders to the pace that mothers keep. Here's what I realized, though, because I've, I've done these types of challenges in the past. I realize I could stand up here and say, I want, to, I want to challenge you to do this for an entire year. 52 days of Sabbath rest. And you want to know what I know would happen? It'll happen two weeks. Next week and that week, if that. Thank you. If that. And, and then about a month and a half out, you'll think, I was supposed to do something today. What was that? So I'm not going to challenge you to do it for a year. Okay? It's unrealistic. Okay. I, I could challenge you to do it all summer, okay? And, and I've done a challenge like that before, that Acts 4.32 challenge. I said, let's do it for all summer. You want to know what would happen? Two weeks, okay? Because within two weeks, you'll have kids at the soccer games. You'll have uh, parent-teacher conferences. You'll have Memorial Day camping, and, and you'll get to the third week and think, oh, that was a good idea. It was fun while it lasted. So I'm not going to challenge you to do it for an entire summer. I want to give just a a simple challenge, okay? Today's Mother's Day. Father's Day is coming up in five Sundays, not counting today. I want to say let's try and implement four Sabbath days of rest between now and then. Four Sabbath days. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to lay out these are the guidelines as to to when and where and, and, well, here's why. I mean in here, okay? But I won't tell you how to do it. But I want to say you can do it for four days. And here, too, is where I want to make this about mothers. Men, I want you to be the pushers for this. It would be easy for the mom thinking, that's a great idea. Sabbath rest. Hey, do this. Or I'm going to do this. I want to encourage the men to be the pushers of this, okay? If you're married without kids, lead your wife in this. If you're married with kids, lead your entire family. If you are widowed, if you are single, grab a group of friends and practice the Sabbath together. Now, what does that look like? Our Hebrews text speaks of resting from their labors. Labors there literally means work. It could be translated as task or employment, or deed, or action, or something that is, is, is made. What does that mean for us to cease from that? Could it mean we turn off our computer and our cell phone for an entire day? <gasps> Could it mean that we stay out of the office? Could it mean that we don't fold laundry and don't clean the house and don't mow the yard? Could it mean that we take the time to grab some friends, grab our family, and and play a game? Could it mean that we set aside time to go and visit someone who is shut in and can't get out? What does it mean to cease from our labor? Again, I'm not going to tell you what that means for you. I have an idea what it means for me, but I'm not going to tell you what it means for you. But here's here's one thing I I will do. I want to give you something. And it's because it has worked for me. Um, in the past, it's worked for me. Hear me on this. The, the Lehman family is, is not currently great at practicing a Sabbath. Okay? So this is just as much for me as it is for anybody else. 
In the seasons where we have been good in the past, we have had a benefit of a candle. Okay? A simple candle. It kind of looks like a jar of baby food. Thank you, Cindy. Okay? But in reality, it's a candle. It's got a verse on it. It says, Happy Mother's Day. So there is a special rest waiting for the people of God. Here's how it has worked for me. When we had this good season of Sabbath rest in our house, what we would do is we would make sure everything was done. Um, and since I work on a Sunday, we would do it from Friday night to Saturday night. So we'd make sure everything was done Friday during the day, the grocery shopping, the, the clothes folded, the lawn mowed, all of that. And we would get to right around dinner time, and, and we would gather the family together, and we would have one of the kids light this candle. And we would remind ourselves that uh, the light of the world is in control. He's in control of all of our to-do lists, all of our bills, all the emails that must be answered. He's in control of that, and the world is not going to cease to turn on its, access, on its axis just because we stop for a day. So the kids would light the candle, and we would pray, and it was amazing of how time would just slow down. And we'd leave that candle burning. Oftentimes, uh, well, blow it out at night, okay? It's a safety hazard. But we would light it again the next morning, and, and it would be there to remind us that this pace is good, and this is something that God wants us to do. So I want to give each household a candle. There's only 48 of them, so that, that's not everybody, but each household can have a candle. And here's why I want to be, I want to be sensitive to, to this. I realize not every household has a, has a husband in it. Not every household has kids in it. But every household I want to see doing this. So if there is a husband or, or kids in the household, guys, be the pushers for this. If there's not, if there's singles, if there's widows, if there's widowers, still come and grab a candle and practice this on your own. Practice it with a group of people. Do your best to enter that rest. It may be that you're thinking, I, I got no idea what, what a, the idea of Sabbath looks like. I have a book called Mudhouse Sabbath by Lauren Winter, and the first chapter is, is about the Sabbath. And we printed off 20 copies of it. Um, yeah, I'm not saying this is the Bible, but I'm saying this is a good example of what Sabbath can look like. It's not an end-all, be-all for every household and every season of life way to practice, but we printed off 20 copies for those that aren't uh, as computer literate. Uh, for those that have computers and like to read on the screen, there's a link on our website under sermons. Uh, it's a short chapter. I encourage you to read it. Get ideas from it. And then practice this between now and Father's Day. Four times. I think it'll be good, and I'm actually excited to see what God does in and through our church as we do this. I think there could be uh, some genuine rest that takes place. I'm going to invite the, the worship team forward. They're going to play instrumentally for a while. I want you to let the, this message settle in. Maybe think back to the times you have rested well on the Sabbath, and, and ask God, hey, do you want me to take this challenge? And if you do... How? What does that mean? So I'm going to pray, and they're going to play instrumentally for a little bit. And then come on up and grab a candle. Guys, men, if you're uh, part of your household, you come up and get it. And ladies, uh, if you don't have that, you come up as well. Come up as well. 48 candles, come and grab one. We'll sing as well. Is there, is there questions on this? We kind of understand the challenge. Four weeks. 
Uh, it's a risk. It's hard. But I think we can do it. Okay? My question to you guys is this. Will we listen to his voice today? Let's all take this chance to push pause on life. To take a deep breath. To bask in the margins of the moment. And rest. Let's pray. God, I fully believe that this idea of Sabbath is good for us. And it's funny because I can read in like medical journals that, that uh, without even any, any faith uh, behind it, people are saying that we should rest one day a week. Lord, ultimately this is a day where we can uh, bring our focus back to you. This isn't just a, a day where we sleep in and where we, where we lay around and where it's focused all about us, but this is a day about you, and as such, you turn around and you genuinely rest us. Lord, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray that as we take this challenge, as we, as we grab a candle, as we commit to saying yes four times over this next month, I will have my family and I will have my friends practice this with me. I ask that you would... Uh, prove to us why you want us to do this. I ask that you would refresh us and restore us and that when we walk in here on a Sunday and when we wake up on a Monday, whatever day of the week we choose to practice this, I ask that we would be drawn to you and that our souls would find that rest in you. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden and I will give you rest He says, you you will find rest for your souls. God, we ask that you would do that for us, not for our benefit, but for your glory. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.